meet with the Lord in a very, you know, outgoing, happy, encouraging way. Let's pray as we get into God's Word. Father, we thank you for just gathering together, worshiping together. We thank you that you are so worthy and that we can just open our hearts to you. And Father, we uh, just ask now that you would open our minds and hearts to your word and that we may become better people for knowing your word and live closer to you because of it. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. I find that people have all kinds of reasons for not becoming a part of a church. And some of those reasons are fairly tame, like they'd rather sleep in on Sundays, or they'd rather go golfing or fishing. Other reasons, <laughs> he, he hates my fishing jokes anyway. Other reasons people give can be a bit more cutting, like, you know, churches are full of hypocrites. They're always asking for money. I don't even believe in the Bible. The stories seem like fairy tales. And then on another level, there are those who spend their time, sometimes enormous amounts of time, trying to convince others that there is no God. And that those who believe in God are taken, being taken advantage of. And I think sometimes the ones that try the hardest are trying really to convince themselves that there is no God. And so they want to keep screaming it until they themselves believe it. Now, as far as missing church goes, I do have to admit that during our city's COVID ordinance, where they want us to stop not be in the building for seven Sundays, seven weeks. I do have to admit that it was kind of fun staying home on those Sunday mornings, but we would watch, you know, Christian music, Christian uh, broadcasts of worship music during breakfast, and then we'd catch some churches that were broadcasting a service, just the pastor and the, the sound people, and we would catch some of our kids' churches as they were playing music and the, and the pastor was preaching. So that was kind of fun for those seven weeks, just getting to take a different type of activity in. And then, you know, some surveys have shown that a lot of people after the pandemic decided that that was how they were going to do church all the time. They were just going to do it online because it was so much easier. Is that really church? I heard some pastors say that I don't think we're going to get them back. You know, certain people. So, what about that? I believe that after you boil it all down, you put all the facts together and boil it all down, those who don't physically attend and become part of a church family especially those who have no relationship with Christ, of course, that's a whole other matter. They have absolutely no idea how valuable and meaningful and even critical it is to be 
to belong to a church family and to be a part of a church family and have brothers and sisters and older and younger to be there with you uh, regularly seeking the Lord and encouraging one another. Now, that isn't saying that churches have no problems. Just about every church that has people will have some problems, right? And some much more than others. And we know there can be even disasters in churches, horrible problems, and you know it, it happens in churches. So if all the churches have problems and some bad problems, you might ask, well, would it be better to just stay home, have a prayer time with the family, read some scripture? Well, here's the problem with shutting yourself off from church for convenience or to avoid church problems. The church is God's designed, his design for his people. The church is the body of Christ on earth for this present age. This is the age of the church that God designed. And the Holy Spirit of God works through the church to reach unsaved and to help the redeemed grow closer to Christ. And the church is God's presence in a community. It's the church people, it's the church that gather strength from the people, or the people who gather strength from the church, and they go out and they make a difference in their community. And then you might say, well, yeah, but look at all the problems that have in they have in churches. And look how many people leave churches. And I would say, yeah, that's true. Any organization that involves human beings is going to have troubles in some ways. Because we are a fallen race, and we live in a fallen universe, and we are waiting for Christ to come back to make everything right and take care of all the problems. Until then, we know there are going to be problems. But what I'd like to do this morning, before we look <coughs> into uh, uh, our passage, I'd like to take us through a brief journey through a few pieces of history, looking at the people of God through different times in history, different times and different ages, and how God used his people in these different times to continue developing his salvation plan. And you might be surprised as we go through this, but you know, if you go back to the days of Noah, I mean, the whole world had gone to pot, right? I mean, God had to just destroy the whole world because everything was only evil all the time. And God, through Noah, preserved the human race. And so, you know, God, whoever were God's people at the time, you know, it was gone. And God preserved the human race through the flood. But then what happened to Noah afterwards? Well, it just talks about he got drunk. So even Noah who was a godly man. And then we go to Abraham. And God used Abraham to continue the line of Christ through the tribe of Judah eventually. But we read of all the troubles and mess-ups that occurred through the time of the patriarchs. Abraham and his children, his family and the patriarchs. Isaac and Jacob and Esau and on and on. But through all that mess, through all those people making those mistakes, 
And you can just count them, you know, and pile them up. God kept the line of salvation going. You would think with all that mess, you know, it, all the plan would be ruined. But God kept it going through his power and his providence. Then we can go to the time of Moses. And he led the people of, of God out of Egypt, <clears throat> out of slavery. But boy, what a mess it was to try to get them to the promised land. I mean, everything bad that could happen happened during those 40 years. They, they were, he was going to take them in right away. They refused to uh, listen to him, to have trust in him. And so they had a 40-year journey living in the desert. So look at all the mess there. But then he got them there, didn't he? And then even Moses and Aaron were disqualified from going in because of disobeying God. And then you get into the nation of Israel, led by judges and then kings and the prophets that were trying to help them. And both Judah and Israel were deep into sin and they got conquered, taken into captivity. Most of the kings of Judah and Israel were wicked. Yet God still worked through all of that to bring the promised Messiah eventually. And during that time, the Jewish religious leaders, when he brought the Messiah, the Jewish religious leaders were mostly evil, weren't they? Or those are the ones we read about, at least. I'm sure there were good priests, but they were being run by these evil priests. And then the whole nation of God's people crucified their Savior. The history of God's people is filled with trouble, disobedience, and colossal mess-ups. But through all of those very flawed people and all of the disasters that marked their history, and through all those generations came the Savior himself, the perfect one. God worked it all out according to his power and wisdom and divine miraculous works. And he used all those disasters and mess-ups to, to bring the perfect one to us just at the right time. The right time in history. And then the perfect one, he discipled 12 apostles who themselves, if you read the stories, they made major mistakes, didn't they? But with them, Christ formed the foundation of the church, the body of Christ on earth. And so today, 2,000 years later, it's amazing. 2,000 years later, after Christ you know, went back to heaven, the salvation message continues to reach people all across the world. Who would have even imagined that his plan would come true with all the mess-ups all the way through history? But the message of forgiveness of Christ is marching on throughout the whole world. And you have people even in places where they're persecuted and they're starting churches and they get put in jail 
and they reach further people, and they go to other areas. Even though at just about every step of God's salvation plan, people messed it up, and the mess-ups had to be overcome and worked through. So, should we complain because there are problems in the church? Should we give up on God's plan of redemption through the church because there's thing that, things that bother us? There's somebody that we can't, it's hard to get along with? Or maybe the church didn't do something you wanted them to do? Or maybe as a pastor, people aren't doing what you want them to do? <clears throat> now you may have heard this uh, story in some version, but one seminary professor was asked by a young student at the seminary, a new student, he came to this professor and said, hey, could you show me a really, really good church you know, that I could start attending? And so the professor asked him what he was really looking for, and he told him you know, all the things that he would, he would like in a church. And, that. and the professor said, <clears throat> Well, I'll tell you this. If you find that perfect church, don't go there. Why not? You'll ruin it. <laughs> now, you know, we here at this church have been talking about working together in harmony as a church, as a local body of Christ. And... <clears throat> You know, what we've been talking about is trying to get a little more organized so that things get done that we really want to get done and don't fall by the wayside because we don't have a way to get there. So we're trying to shore that up. And we have seen recently that the foundation of a harmonious church is really practicing godly character. Character qualities like humility, kindness, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another, making every effort to keep the unity of the peace through the, uh, the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. And that peace was when Christ goes back to Gentiles and Jews hating one another and Christ's death on the cross brought those two hated enemies together into one. And then we see how Christ defeated his enemy and it says he took captives and he ascended to the highest and he distributed the spoils to his people. And what it's referring to is, and it goes on to say, the spoils became the people, the leaders of the church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the teachers. And he gifted the church so that they could serve, so that they could work with people teach the people, bring them to unity in their teaching, and that they could become the body of Christ, building up the body of Christ. Now, you know, we've been talking about working in harmony as a church, getting a little more organized. This morning I would like to finish with a look at a passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, where the Apostle Paul talks about the church in terms of a physical human body and how it's made to work in concert. 
So in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, in verses 12 through 14, he's comparing the church to a body, a physical human body. And he says, just as a body, though one, has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit, so as to form one body, where the Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, Jews and Gentiles, as we know, hated each other, like I said, slave or free is like the top of the line and the bottom of the line, but they're all one together, and we were all given the one spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. Now, you know, we refer to the church on earth as the body of Christ, right? He is the head, we are his body. But like a human body, we individuals in the church form one body of Christ. Now, our physical bodies have many different parts that together make up the one body. And when any person turns to Jesus Christ in repentance of their sins in order to receive his forgiveness... That person is baptized by that same Holy Spirit as every other person anywhere at any time has turned to Christ for salvation. He says, we were given that one spirit to drink. And all who do that, all who come to Christ in repentance for forgiveness, trusting in him, together we form that one body of Christ. All us many, many, many members. Even though we are so different as individuals, we together form the one body of Christ on earth. Just like the different parts of a body form one body. Now, you know, back in Paul's day, the major sticking point as he was writing this were the Gentiles and Jews who hated and had animosity toward each other. Very hated enemies for centuries. And Paul is saying that by being baptized by the same Holy Spirit into Christ makes even them a part of the same body. How they belong together. That proves how unified that we should be in the church and that we have become through Christ. We are that unified. We just have to practice that. We have to realize it and practice that. And then Paul says, no matter who you are and what role you play, if you have been baptized by the Spirit of God as you have turned to Christ, then you belong to the body of Christ. No matter your situation on the earth, no matter if you've been shunned all your life, even if you feel like you're not important, you belong to the body of Christ. And so now look at our last verses, 15 through 20. Because some people, they, they kind of question their, their worthiness. But really, none of us are worthy, right? Now, if the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. 
If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. If you are a true child of God, if you have come to, come to Jesus Christ in faith, accepting him as your uh, sin bearer and asking for his forgiveness, then you are a part of the body of Christ, an authentic, bona fide part of Christ's body. That's an amazing thing, isn't it? I mean, people, people, lowly people, becoming a part of the body of Christ. We can think of ourselves as unimportant. You know, for instance, I could look at somebody like Billy Graham. I think most of you know who Billy Graham was, right? He filled stadiums all over the world preaching the gospel. Lines of hundreds of people going forward to be saved. So many people having to receive them because, you know, one person couldn't do it for sure. He became the counselor for several U.S. presidents. They would call him in their really hard times. He was a major, major influence in the worldwide body of Christ. And looking at him and others with far-reaching ministries, people that fill auditoriums and people traveling long distances to hear them, they write books, they make movies, saw such far-reaching and important ministries, I could say, I'm not much. But you know, Paul says, but in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. <clears throat> so if we are living for the Lord and using what he has given us to help others, to serve the church, to serve God, to serve our families, if we are serving him in the place he has put us and we are using our lives and our gifts that he has given us to serve him, then we can rejoice in how God is using us. And we don't have to feel like we need to measure up to somebody else. You know, be it in big ways, small ways, you know, any way we can help. It, it, it strikes me <clears throat> recently as we were watching some really old Christmas films. And I was just watching after the film was over. And these, were, these are ones that went on to be so famous, you know, but they're ones in the 40s or 50s, some of them. And you saw the credits after the movie, and it was never ending. It was just hundreds of names of, of who, they all had a part in that movie. And probably we only knew, well, some of them were so old, I didn't know any names, but, you know, if, if it was a, current movie, you would know several people 
But you wouldn't know all the people that had a part in that movie. But the movie became great. And it lasted for, for decades you know, as a, as a favorite movie. And you didn't know 98% of the people who were listed that had a part in that movie. And you see, I think that's the way it is with the, the body of Christ. <clears throat> if we are living for the Lord in the place he has put us, using the gifts he has given us, then we are a part of the body, <clears throat> and we are important. Now, if we aren't living for the Lord, then we're letting our gifts go to waste. Then we will have to answer for not taking him seriously. But if we are a true child of God, we are part of the body of Christ, a significant part, and you are important to the body of Christ. Now, Many of you have seen that we divided the work of the church up into different areas of service, different groups. And we do have a need of more people to help in some of those areas. It is doing the work of the church. And it's being a part of the body of Christ. And we don't want anybody to be overburdened or lax on something else they need to do. But we are inviting people to enhance the church with their God-given gifts. And the more we work and serve together, the more we help others grow in the faith. And the more our local body matures from the gifts that are shared from one to the other. Because these are the gifts that God has supplied our church to be built up in unity and to become the full measure of the Son of God. So... It says, just as one body, though one, has many parts, but all its many parts from one body form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit, so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, and we were all given the one spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. Now, verse 27. Now, you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for your brilliance. Of course, your, your brilliance is unlimited, infinite. And we thank you, Lord, for blessing us with your design. There's your design of the church and the people of God. And we see that people are so flawed. We are so flawed. And we see that it takes your work to get, to get us through what you have given us. So we commit ourselves to you. And we humble ourselves before you. And we want to do what you have given us to do, using the gifts you have given us. And we pray that you would help us to be faithful, wise, helpful. And that we could continue on in this church to serve you, to help each other, to encourage each other, to see us do great things, normal things that help people. And then, Lord, that you would be pleased with our offerings to you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.